Today's reading, today's reading starts at verse 1. The new heaven and the new earth. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them as their God. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be them, with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more, for the first things have passed away. And the one who was seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this, for these words are trustworthy and true. Hear the word of the Lord. Well, the service this morning sort of bringing back a few memories for me. Um, that scripture reading was actually the reading I chose for my father's funeral. And uh, um, now thinking about mum, um, I got involved in full-time Christian ministry in 2008. Uh, I was living in Brisbane. Um, I'm the only surviving child in the family. And um, after a lot of prayer and reflection, we determined that it... Um, it was the right thing to do to come to Melbourne. Um, I took a job at World Vision and um, before going I, you know, had to break the news to mum. I said, mum, um, been really thinking a lot about um, the call of God on my life and we believe as a family that the right thing to do is to move um, down to Melbourne and take this job. And um, she said to me, she said, sorry. She said, I'd be hugely disappointed if you go. I'd be hugely disappointed. But if you feel that that's the call of God on your life, I'd be even more disappointed if you stayed. <laughs> and so it was with those words of release um, that we, we moved here. Um, and um, I shared last week, it was thanks to the kindness of a doctor in the emergency room uh, last May when she died, that um, he FaceTimed me and I was able to say goodbye to her and tell her that I loved her. She was a person of great faith. Um, and today's sermon is about hope, so I'll dedicate it to her. Um, one of the things that we've been uh, doing in this short series of uh, three sermons is reflecting on the pandemic because it's been such a big thing and it's been very defining of so many aspects of our lives. And um, uh, I felt it was really important that we actually take time to stop and reflect on the experience of the pandemic in terms of our faith. And to do that, I've um, chosen a little passage from um, the Apostle Paul from uh, 1 Corinthians um, 13, verse 13. Three things remain, faith, hope and love. And the greatest of these is love. And so we're looking at uh, faith, hope and love in turn um, and understanding a bit more about our own faith and the pandemic uh, through that lens. 
Um, it's important to think about hope in terms of our faith because we know that sometimes our elected political leaders um, don't necessarily <laughs> make decisions that build a lot of hope in community. Sometimes um, they politicise issues and sometimes the, the result is a fairly poor public policy with dire consequences. And I think we've seen that with the pandemic in different parts of the world and we're seeing it now unfold um, in the most uh, um, horrific way in India. Um, hope is such a multi-layered concept and it sits right at the heart of our Christian faith. Um, Christianity represents hope not only for ourselves um, but also for our families, our communities, indeed the whole world. The very first thing we think about when we think of hope is this idea of personal salvation. That's the first thought that pops into our head and it's certainly true. Jesus did come to save us from our sins um, that's why the angel instructs Joseph to call Jesus Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And there's no doubt that human nature is fallen. When I look um, through uh, the ages, you see evidence upon evidence that um, uh, people prefer their own selfish ways to the ways of God. And uh, probably the most uh, recent illustration I can think of is the, the fights in the supermarket aisles over the toilet paper um, as appalling as that is, it's an illustration of, in fact, uh, an old age uh, phenomena in the human condition. Yet God is undeterred. God loves us. He loves us so much that he comes to us. He enters his own creation in his son, Jesus. He finds a way home for us. Jesus' perfect example of trust and obedience overcomes death. And everything that binds us, and when we follow Jesus, our life becomes joined to his. We die to those things that are false and evil and we rise with Jesus in his resurrection life. And that's um, a very, very hopeful narrative. I think it is the nature of God to create hope when there was none. God will go to any length any length to restore and redeem, that's who God is. And the gospel is about God committing himself to the task of creating hope and succeeding. The visible sign of that success is resurrection. Nothing can overcome the love of God. Nothing, not even death. This hope, this certainty is an inspiration and it remains no matter what uh, difficulties or troubles we may encounter in life. Resurrection is the sure and certain sign of the eternal life into which we will be raised. And any problems that we might experience, any challenge or difficulty is always relative to that. I want to flip this eternal life proposition around for a moment and try and think of it from God's perspective rather than our own. Why does our eternal life matter to God? Have you ever wondered about that? I think it does matter to God. It matters a great deal. And it says something about God's desire to live in constant relationship with us. And it says something about um, God's desire to see his creation realised and perfected in us. And it says something about just how much God values us. Um, I think it's very hopeful and very affirming. Hope for us is not something that is simply distant and deferred. Um, in the present, we can relate to God. 
trusting our lives to him. God has given us many promises that can sustain us and we live in those promises now. And we pray to God and we bring our cares and concerns uh, for ourselves and for others to God. We are right now, in this moment, the beneficiaries of God's goodwill towards us and that encourages us and lifts us up in so many ways. A part of God's blessing is that he's given each one of us a calling and a purpose and gifts that go with that. He's got marvellous plans for us at every age and stage of our life and we are invited into this journey of discovery, finding out how we, in our own context, can join in God's holy and life-giving purposes. And that's no matter what our job is, um, or our, um, our relationship, whether we're a parent or a grandparent or, or an intercessor or a preacher or a friend or what we are, um, there's important work for us to be doing. Um, and that helps others and gives us meaning. Christian hope um, is not just for ourselves individually, and I think there's actually a, a real danger in focusing on Uh, this idea of salvation in a highly individualistic way because God's redemptive purposes are so much bigger. Christians live out their hope to each other. Christians look after one another. Christians share each other's burdens. Christians rejoice and fellowship together. Um, They have a strong sense of practical community and that is characterised by mutuality and by support. It's life-giving and it's life-affirming. And one of the reasons that the Christian church grew so spectacularly in ancient times is that it was countercultural. It was countercultural then and it's countercultural now. The Christian faith in looking after one another elevates practical love as its primary ethic. That goes against the grain. The Roman world was brutal. I remember a few years ago I had the opportunity to visit the Colosseum in Rome and yes, it was a magnificent building still standing after 2,000 years. But the thing I couldn't get past, the thing I couldn't get my head around is it was basically a place um, where uh, people would fight each other to the death or where uh, people would be thrown to wild animals for public entertainment. You know, it was a brutal, oppressive um, life. And it's no surprise to me that a Christian faith and um, the Christian community um, was very attractive because it was gracious and it was caring and it was a place of welcome and it was a place of love. And the um, Hebrew world, too, was uh, oppressive but in different ways because, you know, yes, while... Uh, relationship was God, with God was, um, was central. There were groups um, like the Pharisees that imposed impossible burdens on people, impossible burdens, and um, they judged the marginalised and uh, they allowed corrupt institutions to flourish. And again, it's not surprising to me that Christian faith really took off um, and presented an attractive vision. Even in the most extreme situations, uh, Christians offer hope. And scripture is full of examples that are are instructive and sort of one that um, strikes me in particular is Jesus, whilst dying on the cross, offering 
words of forgiveness to those around him. Or perhaps Paul in jail bringing uh, hope to the warden and the warden's family or the the many, many instances of um, healing and compassion and welcome in the life of the early church. In John's Gospel, uh, Jesus gives us a new commandment to love one another and by this we are meant to be known by the world. It's to be our distinctive quality. Uh, And Jesus' direction was taken seriously by the early church, or at least by parts of it. Um, And the book of Acts does give us a a good description of how people would gather together, they would break bread, they would share their lives, they'd even share their possessions, attending to each other's needs. And their numbers grew and grew and grew. So while Christian hope might start with us as individuals, it quickly turns and reaches out to the world around us. Christians are part of a community that seeks to bless one another. I have been um, reading a bit about the effects of the pandemic in this country um, and uh, I was absolutely staggered to learn that more than one million Australians last year sought mental health um, treatment um, because of COVID. More than one million Australians. And in Victoria, the lockdown sparked um, sort of a a massive crisis in mental health, particularly for young people. Um, The demand for children's mental health services has skyrocketed, more than a 50% increase in um, acute uh, emergency uh, inpatient admissions. And that's still going on. There is an increasing body of scientific evidence demonstrating the overwhelming benefits of a personal religious faith, particularly among children and young people. And it can have a really powerful preventative effect in um, insulating them against the effects of depression, anxiety and the temptation to self-harm. It can also help in overcoming rejection and hurt and failure. It's got a positive therapeutic effect in helping to achieve um, things that would not normally be achieved. And it's surprising that psychologists traditionally have viewed faith um, and religion and spirituality as being um, topics of marginal interest. You know, they're just being uh, put to one side. But a colleague of mine from um, Mission Australia recently shared some research with me coming out of Columbia University and it found, and I'll quote from this, um, we now have a, um, a recent wave of rigorous science from top peer-reviewed journals um, that show us that children are born inherently spiritual, that this natural spirituality can be supported by parents and caring adults, and that if, if it is supported, then it's the greatest source of resilience and thriving known to medical or social science. That's a quote from a, a book by um, Lisa Miller, who's a professor of um, psychology from uh, Columbia, uh, building on some earlier work of hers published in the Oxford Handbook of Psychology and Spirituality. Now, the reason I'm mentioning that is that It instinctively makes sense to many of us. Um, There is now a growing body of um, uh, good quality research with longitudinal studies and it shows that faith not only offers hope to us as individuals, it is hopeful for others too. 
and it is hopeful for people who are vulnerable, such as our young people, particularly those um, struggling with mental health issues. But God's vision of hope is bigger still. It's not just about us as individuals or even our children or even our own communities. It's about the whole world. It's stunning in its breadth. The grand narrative of Christian faith is about the renewal of all things. There is a project of restoration that is going on that stretches um, onward and outward from the cross and it will result um, in the end in a new creation. There is hope for creation itself and according to Paul, our creation has been groaning and aching for a very long time. God's teaching about the end times is not some kind of arcane speculation. It really isn't. It is actually, I think, one of the most important of Christian doctrines. And the reason why it is important is that the future informs the present. God will put everything right. Everything will stand in its proper place and relationship before God. Shalom is coming. Shalom is this wonderful Hebrew word and it refers to everything in creation being restored and put in its proper and rightful place before God. It's a magnificent vision and it lies ahead of us and yet the future reaches into the present and informs how we we live now and it provides strength and purpose and direction. As Wesley put it, it's about heaven and earth combining. Or as Jesus puts it in the Lord's Prayer that we just prayed, it's about God's kingdom coming on earth as it already is in heaven. That's what we should pray for. That's what we are asked to pray for in the Lord's Prayer. And we're given such an eloquent description of that future vision in the final chapters of uh, the Bible and um, the reading today um, is uh, a magnificent picture. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more mourning or death or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Wow. That glorious vision might seem a way off, but its power can be felt today. Jesus tells us that blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. He's referring not only to those who've been touched by death, but by those who have been weighed down by the kinds of things that grieve us about this world. Things that dehumanise us. 
things that prevent human flourishing. And in my job, which is in the international development space, I certainly lament and regularly lament a great many things that are wrong with this world. Like injustice and oppression and inequality and poverty. It's not an acute grief that you go through, it's more the kind of grief that you learn to live with. There is so much wrong with this planet. It can seem overwhelming. It can seem bleak. So I hang on to the future vision we're given and I know with confidence that God will put things right, justice will come, restoration will happen. And whatever we lament about, whatever cruelty or tragedy or sorrow in this world that weighs us down, even a pandemic... We can know with absolute certainty that God, in the end, will put things right and his people will be comforted. Pandemics come, pandemics go, but God is pressing on with the task of renewing his creation. And we take our own small uh, part in working to that end. God came to us in Jesus, he comes to us still, he will come to us again. And when he does come again, it will be to consummate his work of renewal. God will make his home among us, he will wipe away our tears. Wherever we look, there is hope. It would be churlish to diminish or minimise the suffering of so many people in this world by making glib statements about a better world to come. I'm not going to do that. God's promises are not glib. They are not empty. They are sure and certain because God himself has given them. His words can be believed. He has given himself over completely to the task. He has entered his creation. He has become one with us. He has died for us. He has overcome so that new, ri- new life will rise. New life did rise at Easter as it will again. Three things remain. Faith, hope and love. And while the greatest of these may be love, hope sticks with us like glue. Amen.